Hello and welcome to Slaying Giants with Joe Sneed. So glad you're here today. Uh, if you've been with me for the last few episodes, you know that I've been covering the Southern Baptist Convention yearly meeting and kind of uh, just giving a review, talking about a lot of the bad things that happened there. And also just uh, I've started talking about the uh, different organizations um, within the Southern Baptist Convention and the problems that are there. It, it's important to do this, but it's also kind of a bit of a downer. <laughs> and so I thought I'd do an episode that was a little break from that, um, look at something a little more positive, and I thought I'd do another uh, quick deep dive into Scripture. Not even that deep, just, I, I think, just look at something that's very important. The whole reason for our faith, and that reason is so that we can glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's have you ever heard the expression Christianity is a relationship not a religion? Well, that saying annoys me because that is a false dichotomy. Christianity is both a faith. I mean it's both a relationship and a religion. And that's a good thing as we'll see in just a second. And for instance, the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper comes to mind. Uh, in your denomination, they may call it a, they might call them a sacrament, and the Lord's Supper they may call the Eucharist or communion. In Baptist churches, we call it ba- uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and we call them ordinances, not sacraments. And I won't get into all the reasons for that, but but just it's interesting that every true Christian denomination acknowledges that. Jesus himself instituted these rituals, and he commanded that his followers, he commanded that we follow these rituals. Now, if our faith is a relationship with God, why in the world did he put these in place? Why did he institute these? Well, the reason reason for it is because we are holistic beings. We're not just a spirit, but we are a spirit and a body combined into one soul. That's what uh, it says in Genesis, I believe it's 2-7, uh, where God formed the man out of the clay, or formed the Adam out of the Adamah, as it says in the original Hebrew, and then God breathed into Adam and he became a living being. Now, the word breathed is the same word in Hebrew as spirit, and that word living being is actually the Hebrew word for soul. So here we see how it works together. God took the physical and material and made a human body, then he breathed the spirit into it, and it and then we became, that combined together became a human soul. There's a lot of people that have over the years wondered how, what, what is exactly a human being? Are we just a, uh, you know, are we just physical and spiritual? Or, you know, are we just like spirit and body? Or are we spirit, soul, and body? Well, I think this pass, the passage in Genesis uh, 2, 7 answers that question. It's, it's like a Venn diagram. There's the spirit, and then there's the physical, and where they overlap is the soul. It's the essence, the Hebrew word for soul can also mean self. It's the same in in Greek. The same word, the suke, is the the word in Greek, and it can mean both soul and self. 
And so that that answers that question. Um, and as you see that both sides are, are right, we are, in one way, we are just physical and spiritual, but it's we're combined together inextricably we, and, and to make a soul, to make ourself. And when we die, that is separating the spiritual part of us from the physical part. And the our spirits go to be with the Lord. But we're not complete without our bodies. And that's why Christianity is a very physical religion. That's why we look forward to the resurrection from the dead when our spirits, the spirits of the departed, they're, they're those who are in Christ, who have trusted in Christ, are with the Lord right now. And they're in bliss, <laughs> but it's not their final state. It's not the ultimate state of happiness they can be in. That only happens when their bodies are resurrected, glorified, incorruptible, and united with their spirits. And that explains why God instituted these rituals, because we are inextricably uh, connected our spirits to our bodies. Let me, and, and so when we do these rituals, they're, they're, they're of the Lord's Supper and baptism, it's, it's important for several reasons. Number one, we're ministering to ourselves, but also we're, we're making a proclamation to the world. And both this ministering and this proclamation has both a future, it, has a, it, it points to something in the past, but it also points to something in the future, as well as the present. It's important. Let's start with baptism. So, first of all, let's look at that word baptism. And, uh, you know, I used to be Presbyterian, and, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, in, in a lot of my theology, I'm still very Presbyterian. I'm, I mean, I I totally believe in Calvinism. I believe that you look at the Bible, that's what I believe it clearly teaches. That's why I call myself Reformed Baptist. I love ministries like Founders and uh, other Reformed Baptist groups. But when I when I was going through seminary and I looked at the original Greek and I got to the word uh, that we have as baptized or baptism in uh, our English Bibles, it comes from the Greek word baptizo. And so I realized the word baptism or baptize, it's not a translation. It's a transliteration. And so what the translators did is they didn't translate the Greek word baptizo into, uh, like Jerome didn't translate it into Latin, and then the Reformers translated into, you know, German and French and English. Instead, they, Jerome and the, the first translators, they transliterated it into Latin. And then the later uh, translators uh, did the same thing. They trans transliterated it into whatever language uh, was the common language of their nation of origin, and and the problem is that with that is that we don't get the the meaning of the word. I don't believe we should transliterate the word. I think it should be translated so we know the meaning. And the original meaning in Greek is immerse. The word baptizo means to immerse or to submerge or to or to dunk. It means it every single time. You can look in ancient Greek, in Koine Greek, which is the dialect that the Bible was written in. 
anytime it's it always means that i mean you it's talked about as a ship sinking as being a baptizo it talks about uh when you dye wool they say it's baptizo because they would dye it in the ink and leave it uh leave dye it in the uh dunk it they dunk it into the the color the dye and leave it overnight and then they take it out so the word always meant immerse and that's why the Baptists, that's where they got their name, because that was one of their main distinctives, is they believe that baptism is, is meant to be by immersion and not by sprinkling. And, um, and you know, Christians who sprinkle, I mean, there's there's still our brothers and sisters in Christ, but they miss this very important picture. And there's other things, and I'll get into what, what the picture it paints, um, here in a second, but I mean, and I can go into the history of how the sprinkling started. Um, it, it was actually a very pragmatic thing. Some places there was not a whole lot of water, and so they would just get like a little cup. And when they baptized someone, they would just like pour it over their head, or they would sprinkle the water on them. When, when the Roman Empire became quote unquote Christian, they were. The uh, Constantine wanted all his troops baptized. And this is crazy. So what they would do is as his troops were marching by a river, the priests the, in the Roman church, they would take these trees and bend them down um, in, into the river and tie the trees down and then stake, you know, and then and tie the, the trees down to these stakes that they'd staked into the ground. And then as the, tro- the troops were walking by, they would cut the ropes and the, the trees would s- swing up into the air and fling the water from the river onto the troops. And so they'd all get sprinkled and they'd say, there, you're baptized. <laughs> so they have these mass baptisms. And so, and since the word was not translated into Latin, but transliterated, the, the Latin speakers didn't know what it meant. They thought that was baptism. They thought the sprinkling was baptism. And thus... That meaning was uh, wrongly put attributed to that word, and it spread throughout the West. It wasn't until the Reformation that some of the reformers they would go back to the original Greek, and they would read it, and they go, "Wait a minute! This word means to Im- immerse," and that's why the first group to do it were called the Anabaptists. They, because they, they believe that they, they were Anabaptist means baptize again, and they would baptize each other in the water. Um, I think the first group we knew of was in Switzerland with the Ulrich Zwingli's church. Um, so that's the history of baptism. But if you look back in the Old Testament, you see the same. You see the same sort of of imagery, but uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's let's look at to what the picture it paints. So, why is it important for the picture that it paints here? Well, because when we're baptized into Christ, which is the language the Bible uses, we are identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And if you sprinkle someone, that that has no meaning. Jesus died, was buried down into the grave, and then rose up again on the third day alive. In the Bible, water often 
it always symbolizes something bad. It's uh, it symbolizes death or chaos or lostness or uh, lies, and here it symbolizes death. And so, when we are baptized into Christ after we believe, we're showing that we are identifying with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and that his what he accomplished on the cross is applied to us. Now it also it it it, it also symbolizes that we have died to our old way of life and were raised to newness of life uh, to walk through the power of the Holy Spirit. In uh, Romans 6.4, it says, We have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. You know, we're born again. We're died to our old self. We ra- we're raised to newness of life. So that's what it tells the world. It also points forward to the future in that it reminds us that we are all going to die one day, but that if we die in Christ, then we will be raised to rule and reign with him forever, in the new heavens and the new earth, in our glorified bodies. Now, it, it also baptism also ministers to us in this way. As I mentioned before, we are physical as well as, well as spiritual beings. So, Baptism engages our senses. We we hear the minister proclaim, you know, buried with Christ, raised to newness of life, or however your church says it. Uh, we feel the water. We we stop breathing for a second as we go down, which uh, mimics death uh, just for a, a moment. We may might even feel a tinge of fear as we go back into the water, but then that fear is relieved as we come back out of the water. And this makes the whole past conversion experience that much more real to us. How we trusted in Christ, and it's you know sometimes that step of faith is is uh, fearful, but then we our fears are we relieved and we realize we can trust Christ. And same thing with death. Death is a fearful can be a fearful thing, but we realize that death has lost its sting and that Christ is waiting for us at the other side to take our hand. And then. If you look in the Old Testament, Paul was talking about baptism. He said, um, I believe it was Paul, so one of the writers of the New Testament, he says the old was talking about the Israelites and it talked how they were said how they were baptized into Moses. Now he's talking about the Red Sea experience for them. And you know, just as the Red Sea parted and the Israelites went down into the Red Sea and then walked through it and then came up on the other side. It see that also symbolized it, it for it looked like they were from you know f- from looking at it from a the side it looked like they were going down into the water and then coming back up out of the water and again it symbolized that they were dying to their old life in Egypt and rising to new life with their relationship with Yahweh with their with their savior God and and so it, it ties into the New Testament and so that's how we know, again, that reinforces the idea that baptism is supposed to be immersed. You're going down and coming back up. It symbolizes a death and a resurrection. And like I said, symbolize both a past and a future event. 
All right, so let's look at the Lord's Supper. So the Lord's Supper was instituted by Jesus, and he took the um, the old Passover meal, and which, again, applies to the same event of the Israelites leaving Egypt, but then he applied it to himself. And if you remember in Exodus, the last and final plague, God was going to kill the firstborn, all the firstborn in Egypt. But he told the Israelites, take a lamb, a, a faultless lamb, don't break any of his bones, but kill that lamb and then put his blood on the, the doorposts of your house. And when the messenger of death came th- would come through, you know, he, and he saw the blood on your door, he will pass over your house and you will be spared. And the blood on the doors, of course, it makes it made the shape of the cross. And Jesus is that Passover lamb who was sacrificed for us so that when God sees us, that we are covered in the lamb, by the blood of the lamb that washes us of all our sins, his wrath passes over us. And it was his firstborn who died for us. It's just a beautiful picture. And Jesus takes this and shows that he is the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of the Jewish ritual of Passover. And and then again, this is a this is a picture to the world that Christ is our sustenance, that we he's our daily bread, that we are our spiritual life comes completely from him. And while they were eating the Passover meal, this is in Matthew 26, 26 through 28, he said, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And when he, and when he had taken up a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. In, uh, the other go- in one of the other gospels, it says, this is my body broken for you. And again, this engages all of our senses. This is ministers to us as well, because we we can see the bread and the wine. We can smell the wine or grape juice, depending what your church uses in the bread. You can taste it as you eat it. You feel it as you you touch it, and then you you hear the the minister say, "This is the." blood of Christ shed for you. This is the body of Christ broken for you. And it makes Christ's sacrifice on the cross for us that much more real and just really makes us really realize that our sins truly are forgiven. Now, this also points forward to the wedding feast of the Lamb, because in the next verse, in Matthew 26, 29, Jesus said, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That's talking about when Christ comes back. In Revelation 19, it talks about the wedding supper of the Lamb. Over and over in the Bible, the church is is spoken of as the bride of Christ. We are Christ's bride, and Jesus, uh, collectively the bride of Christ, and when Christ returns, it'll be like a a groom coming for his bride. And then we will have this huge celebration called the wedding supper, Supper of the Lamb. And communion is also a reminder, or the Lord's Supper, or the Eucharist, whatever you call it, it's a reminder of that day 
when Christ will come back for us and how we will live with him and feast with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. So I hope this has been encouraging to you. It's a little break from what I've been doing because I thought we needed a little break from that. And just to remember why we do these rituals, that how why they're very important. And remember, baptism is done once, but the Lord's Supper, Jesus didn't give an exact amount of time when to do it, but he said, do this often in remembrance of me. So we, we do this to remember Jesus. And so, hope you're encouraged by this. I hope uh, if you haven't been baptized, well, if you haven't trusted in Christ, I hope you trust in him. And then you are baptized to show that you are united with Christ. You've died to your old life. You're right, you've raised to newness of life. You look forward to the resurrection of the dead. And then I hope you will often celebrate the Lord's Supper where you remember and reenact what Christ has done for you and how we walk by faith in what Christ has done for us. He is our very nourishment. He is our daily bread, and we imbibe him through his word, through faith, through prayer, through praise. And he gives us spiritual life, and we look forward to the wedding supper of the Lamb when Christ returns. Anyways, God bless, guys. Take care. If you like Slaying Giants, please visit the website at slanggiantshow.com and support us via PayPal. You can also contact us at slanggiantshow at protonmail.com. Slaying Giants is a Joe Sneed creative production. If you're a podcast junkie like I am, you've probably thought about starting your own. But the idea can be intimidating and you don't even know where to start. Well, use the company that I've used to help me get started, and that is Buzzsprout. We use Buzzsprout, and they have made the process so easy. You'll get a great-looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to see how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and more. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. The team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. Following the link in the show notes lets Buzzsprout know we sent you, and it gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan and help support our show. Sign up for Buzzsprout today.